Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. What a joy it is for me to stand before you and hold up God's word, but more importantly, to be able to come to the table today. It's been nearly four months, too long since we've been able to take of the table together. And so today we've been able now that we will be able to take of the table together. And so this morning, instead of jumping into numbers, which was the plan, we'll do that soon. I wanted to take just a moment to look at a few things in the scriptures and to remind us and to refresh and kind of fan within us the beauty of our time together as followers of Jesus Christ. This should be like the the most favorite Sunday of God's people is the first Sunday when we get to take the table together and we get to remember all that Christ has accomplished and all that he's promised to do. And we're going to focus our attention on Jesus and his explanation to the disciples before his sacrifice, as we've read in Matthew 26. In the Gospel of Matthew, we, we, we just need to understand just a little bit of context here. We're, we're just hours before Jesus will be betrayed by his very own, by Judas, one of his, the twelve. He'll be put on trial for something he did not commit. He will be executed on a cross. He will endure the wrath of God. He will be buried and he will rise again. So Jesus is already in the book of Matthew. He's already displayed and declared in a multitude of ways that he is the Son of God. That he is God in the flesh. That he is the one promised from of old. And that he is this long promised son of Abraham. That he is indeed the foretold coming Messiah. So look with me. Very interesting. Some things here. Some things that I just want to highlight for us as we come to the table together. Look there with me again at verse 26. Now it says, now as they were eating. What were they eating? They were eating Passover, right? They were eating Passover. And if we let our eyes scan just a little bit up, we see that very clearly in verse 17. Look there at verse 17 with me. It says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat Passover? And Passover was a meal that they were sharing together. And if you were here last time we talked about the Lord's Supper, Pastor David walked us through the connections of the Passover meal and the Lord's Supper. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But by way of review, maybe you just don't know what the Passover is. See, the Passover meal was a meal that was instructed by God that his people carry out once a year. Once a year, they were to come together and remember the great salvation and redemption that God had done and provided for them from the land of Egypt. It's all recorded for us in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, this great redemption and salvation that God had provided. And so for thousands of years, they were commanded to participate in this Passover meal. See, God had already provided redemption from Egypt and he had commanded his people that they were to take time to remember this. So this is the scene. Jesus and his homeboys are all sitting on the floor around this table eating a Passover lamb. And then Jesus almost interrupts right in the middle of something that they had probably done their whole life and kind of just shins shockwaves through their minds. Like, I don't want you to think like this was just something like a normal meal. No, this was the Passover. There was a way that it was to be done. There was an expectation and Jesus just kind of interrupts that. Right here, it begins to say there's something new coming on the scene. There's something better that's about to be accomplished. 
And this is important for us to remember today. Because one of the things I think we often do as God's people, we think our generation is the chosen generation. But one of the things we have to remember is that the Passover is a declaration that thousands of years ago, God was in the business of saving people. And that he still is in the business of saving people. We are connected to a long line of a story that's actually not ours. It's God's. A God who saves. A God who is about bringing people into his story through the salvation offered in Jesus Christ. Your salvation, brothers and sisters, is part of a big story. So when you come to the table, don't think like you're just, oh, we're just in small town Moultrie. No, we're in big town. Jesus Christ is king and we get to be here and announce that to everybody. Part of the table is that we are part of a big story. Every nation, tribe and tongue, we just sang it, is part of this story and we get to participate in that. So don't let this, don't ever think like, I'm just in Moultrie. Maybe if I was in a bigger city, I could make a difference. You can make a difference right here. And part of us remembering this Passover meal is where Jesus kind of brought about this new, better understanding. Something we need to set at the forefront of our minds. So when we come to this table to take the bread and the cup, we must be mindful that we're saying, God, I'm a part of something big and I can't do it apart from you. Do you believe that when you come to the table? Do you really think you're a part of something big, something global, something universal, something history changing? Because that's what this table declares. You are part of big time news. That God saves people like you and me and then uses us as part of that good story. So may we remember, first and foremost, this is happening right in the middle of a Passover meal. And Jesus is right there taking the Passover meal feast with his disciples. And I'm sure the taste of the Passover lamb is still on the mouth of his disciples. And then he speaks something very unique. Look there with me again at verse 26. First, we want to look at the two parts that Jesus describes and kind of changes and reorientates their meaning. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. Now, this would be unleavened bread that had always been prepared during the Passover meal. And this was normal. There was always a time in the Passover um, time where they would, whoever was in charge, usually the, uh, the, the oldest man in the home, would he would stand up and he would breast the bread and he would break it. So this was already like, disciples look, okay, we're just going through the normal routine. But then look what happens here. So I want you to remember, think, this is like ordinary. What's happening right now is normal. But then Jesus says something different. He says, take and eat This is my body. Disciples would have been like, what? Because normally this was considered the bread of affliction. And here's what the ordinary line would say. This is the bread of affliction, which our ancestors ate when they left Egypt. That was the typical line that the the oldest male in the house would say. He would bless the bread. He would break it. He would say, this is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate in the wilderness. And Jesus, in this moment, is declaring there is some significant change. There's a better, more significant exodus that's about to happen. One led by someone who's more wonderful than Moses himself. He explains in this event, he says there's something going to happen tomorrow. Almost like a foreshadowing of the significance of his own death the very next day. He says, this is my body. Broken. For my people. See, Jesus wanted his disciples to know that what was about to happen was not an accident. 
He was letting them know, guys, something's going to happen tomorrow. And I've been telling you about this, and, and you're still a little blind to this understanding. He says, but once again, he says, there's going to be a breaking of me. My flesh will be torn and beaten. And he wants them to understand that embracing part of God's plan for salvation is understanding that it's a plan that's been before time. This wasn't an accident to happening. And maybe you're new, maybe you're a guest, or maybe you're brand new to the faith. And this is something that we must all realize. The death of Jesus was not an accident or a reaction. No, Jesus' death was the culmination of God's design from the beginning. It was the culmination of the promises given from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through Scripture. It was climaxing in this moment and Jesus interrupts a Passover meal and does something different. He says, break, this is my body. For centuries, Israelites, who are God's people, had been remembering a salvation that was promised. And now it was coming to its climax. Jesus was God's plan from the beginning. In the Passover meal, Jesus in this moment, he says, take, eat, this is my body. That he himself was about to be broken for those disciples and anyone who would believe. So one of the things you need to remember about the Passover, there was a lamb, right? A a substitute lamb that was used in this scene. And Jesus is declaring, I'm a better substitute than that lamb. He's a better substitute for you and for me and anyone who would believe. Jesus is saying, this is not just some ordinary meal that you're about to be brought into. But this is the one defining moment in all of history that you're being brought into. And when we come to the table, we're remembering that. We're remembering the time that history stood still. And God himself absorbed the wrath of his on his own son and breathed his last. When we come to the table, it's a big story and it's a big deal what he did. And when we take of this bread, we are saying, you are the afflicted one. Remember, this was the bread of affliction. And Jesus was saying, it's not going to be a bread of affliction anymore. It's going to be a body of affliction and it's going to be mine. The bread of affliction became the very body of affliction as we read in Isaiah 53 where he says, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. In the bread we are declaring Jesus bore our sin in his body on a tree. May it never lose its wonder. When we come to the table of what the cost was for our salvation, it was the beaten, broken, afflicted body of Jesus Christ. Jesus was saying, I am about to provide the ultimate sacrifice of my own perfect life in the place of all sinners who would believe. What a cost. What a price that bread now represents. And in like manner, look with me, he moves on to the cup in verse 27. He says, and he took the cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. During the Passover meal, there was often four cups that would be blessed and then shared. Most scholars believe this is probably right before the third cup. The third cup was the cup of redemption. It was rejoicing in the redemption of God's people from 
Egypt. And again, he goes in like manner, just like they probably would have done. He says, this is, look there with me again at verse 26. Drink of it all, you. this is my blood of the covenant. And is this cup that he blessed and then once again kind of said something glorious. And what is it that he's saying here? What's interesting is the way verse 28 echoes, it echoes of Exodus 24. There was another time blood was used as an illustration of a covenant. See, in the Old Testament, God rescued his people out of Egypt and they gathered around Mount Sinai. And God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And Moses, with the blood of a sacrifice, he splashes it on the altar, but then he splashes it on the people. Sprinkles it upon them and he says, guess what? This is the language used here. It says, this is the blood of the covenant. So that's what Moses says in Exodus 24 and verse 8. God is making a covenant with his people and Moses took that blood and sprinkles it upon them. And listen to Jesus' language. It's almost verbatim of that same scene. He says, this is the covenant of my blood. See, he changes it. Just one word, one phrase. And it had to be the very blood of Christ. See, Christ is declaring that his death, his blood will be spilt the very next day. That his sacrifice was a covenant sacrifice. Covenant. What that? What's a covenant? It's, it's the most glorious news that any of us has been brought into. It's that God has promised, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's the promise that God says, I will forgive you and I will ratify a broken relationship. I will bring it back together. And God saying, Jesus was declaring, my blood will be spilled, not just for the forgiveness of sins, but for the better covenant, better than the one given at Mount Sinai. Jesus is saying what Hebrew later records, the blood of goats and bulls, they do nothing. They will not save, they cannot save, but mine does. My blood does save, for it cleanses and it makes us white as snow. And one of the greatest things about Jesus is that He says, not only will I forgive you, but then he steps back and forgives us, but he brings us into right relationship with the Father. We are in a covenant relationship. The table isn't just about you. Unfortunately, the table sometimes has been sold. It's about you and Jesus. The salvation in general is not, yes, we have an individual salvation, but it's a covenant where we've been knit into a beautiful body, the body of Christ, as Brian so wonderfully taught us two weeks ago. We are the body of Christ and there's a specific way we treat each other. So when we come to the table, this is why it's intended for the body to take it. This is not something you should be taking on your own or in your home by yourselves. For it is a covenant ordinance. A church ordinance. One of the great things that Jesus never says, brothers and sisters, is clean up yourself first and then I'll make a covenant with you. What he's declaring here is that my blood has to be spilled because you can never make it right yourself. He's not saying, well, just muster up enough and then we'll make it right. See, no, we're never saved by works. We are saved by one thing, Christ and his blood alone. And we're declaring this to each other and to the nations when we take the Lord's table together. Blood of the covenant, Jesus' death and blood shed and his resurrection Establish a covenant with God and his people. A covenant is a promise. It's a promise that I will always be your God and you will always be my people. A cup is about our union with God through Christ and our union with each other. Praise God for the body of Christ. 
For it is a declaration that he is in the business of covenant keeping. That his body was our affliction, that his blood is our unity. And the spirit that now indwells us makes this a reality for all of this. Quickly, look back at verse 26 and 27 with me one more time. I want us to see what it, some interesting things here. If you look there, Jesus says, take, eat. This is my body, speaking of the bread. And he says it again of the, of the cup. He says, drink it, all of you. See, God's people receive the Lord's Supper by faith. Nothing about this table is like you saying, God, I'm, I'm getting more grace to save me for the next day, and I'm going to get more grace for the next month, and I'm going to get more grace for the next month. No, this is received by faith. I believe there's something real and supernatural the Spirit does when we receive the table, but the, body, the bread doesn't turn into the body, and the blood doesn't turn into the blood of Christ. The juice doesn't turn into the blood of Christ. Flip my words there. But what we are declaring is I'm still clinging to all of Christ. God's people receive it by faith. And that's what I implore all of you in this moment to do. Begin to search your heart. Are you still clinging to Jesus? Or was it just a moment you had when you were two, when you were 10, when you were 27? Every day is a declaration of faith. Every day is a declaration that we must have Christ to be in relationship with the Father. This is why we say together, this church, Jesus, thank you. For you're all we need, you're all we desire, you're all we long for. And this is the call for all of you. So if you don't know the Lord, I encourage you now, cry out, say, help me. God, help me to see the fullness of Christ. But where I want to park most of our attention is on verse 29. Verse 29 is one of those verses that if you don't think about it, often when you hear the Lord's Supper, you hear those first two that we talked about. The body is the bread and the blood is the juice of the cup, the fruit of the vine. But look at verse 29 with me. It says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until... That day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What was that? This is a pledge of Jesus right before he's about to go to the cross and provide salvation, rise from the grave. He ascended to the Father. But he's, he's making a pledge to his disciples and to us here. This is a pledge that this is only a foretaste of a better meal to come. This is just an appetizer of some sort, of something better to come. Let's look at it. Let's break it down just in each section. First he says, I will drink this cup again. He says it right there in verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit again until that day when I drink it with you new. So he's saying there's going to be another time where he sits down with his disciples and he sits down with you and me and he has a, a meal shared together. And maybe you're here today and maybe one of the reasons you simply have a hard time with Christianity is all the brokenness you still see in the world. Maybe you're like, I just can't believe that Jesus did this good and glorious work because I look around and it ain't good and it ain't glorious. And you know, I would completely agree with you. I would say the Bible says we live in a broken world. But think about it this way. We just drove back from Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, all of us who were on the family trip. Can you imagine we saw the Moultrie sign on 75 saying, okay, turn right here to get off 75 and head to Moultrie. And we got off of the sign and we expected Moultrie to be right there by the sign. 
As if this is what mulching was going to be like. And we look around and you're like, this is just a sign. Grass is kind of dead. There's still lots of cars going by. It's just a sign. You're expecting something to be there that was never intended to be there. And it's the same declaration of Jesus. Jesus says, I have purchased everything necessary. He says, I have, but this is just a sign of something better to come. We are still on a journey. We are still moving forward to that day when he says, I will return. And the table set before us today, we are saying this is merely a signpost declaring there is coming a day. There is coming a day when we won't just see signs of the promises of God, but it will become reality. It will become manifest. It will become real. For Christ himself will reign on this earth and all things will be made new and brought back into their full glory. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're saying something better is still coming. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you're taking this, or do you really think this is as good as it gets? So I'll be saying the songs we sang today, and this is what I just want to hold before you, that when we come to this table, we're saying there's something better coming. It's my king, and he promises several things with us here. Well, look what he says first there at the end in verse 29. He says, first, he will drink it new with you. What's the it? The new wine, the, the, the cup. So we read from Isaiah 25, this well-aged, better wine, this new covenant relationship that we're in is going to culminate one day when we will have the best wine we've ever tasted in the world. It will be the most joyous celebration that's ever been. He says new, signifying that there's something more coming. And maybe you as a follower of Christ, you're just like, I can't keep following Jesus because I'm so tired of this chaos and brokenness around me. Can I tell you not to put your hope in what you see around you? That's why Paul says we live by faith and not by sight. And when we come to the table, it's to remind you that his sufficiency of his death and his resurrection, but that there's a better day coming. Don't put your hope in the things of this world. Man, this frees you from measuring yourself by the work of your hands. But instead, you are to be finding your hope and your joy in a better coming kingdom. So men, breathe, teach, lead your home to spend all their days declaring there's something better coming. Teach your children that they would be always able to say, yes, this ice cream is great, but there's something better coming. Sure, this is wonderful, but there's something better coming. That should be our job, men, to constantly hold before our families that there's something better coming. Ladies, this means you do not have to be consumed with worry and doubt because of the world that your children maybe are raised up into. When you see the turmoil around you, instead remind yourself of the promise that Jesus made here. There's coming a day when I will make things new. Set your hope in this. Do not be consumed about what you see around you. How beautiful is this news that we've been given here together. So this cup will be made new. What's going to be made new? Jesus is referring specifically to the cup of the wine here. What else is going to be made new? All things. So I want you to do, do a mental exercise with me real quick. What's the one thing you love but you hate because it's broken in this world? Like me, like I love to do yard work, but man, it was unbearable yesterday. By, literally, I felt what Genesis said, by the sweat of my brow, you will labor. But I love, I love to trim trees and shrubbery. I don't know why, but I do. I get a kick out of those things. I just really enjoy it. But it was awful yesterday. 
unbearable. I love to hate it. And I can't wait for that day. I hope I get to be a shrub trimmer in heaven because I just, I love to do it. And that's what God says. It's going to be there. And you know what? I'm going to be able to enjoy it to its fullest. I'm going to do giraffes and elephants. And I I mean, it's just going to be like Disney World all over around my home. And when we get to the new heaven, it's going to be wonderful. What's that one thing you love to hate? And my, I want to press into you when we come to the table. I want you to say, I love it more, but I love it when it's coming in the new kingdom. I love it because it's coming with a new kingdom. There's so many things in this world that, that sometimes I think as Christians, we, we forget that it's beautiful and it's enjoyable. But that it's still going to get better. It's still going to be better. Whether it be food, whether it be pleasures of exercise, whether it be the enjoyment of relationship, whether it be the pleasure of arts and movies and music, all of these things we can all enjoy. But at the end of the day, can I tell you this? The table's telling us something. The table's telling us that it's going to get better. This is a foretaste. This is an appetizer. It's not so that we don't enjoy the things of this world, but so that we don't make them into idols. Because we know these are still broken under the curse of sin. But there is coming a better day. But can I, can, I, can I point out one more thing? In verse 29. Look there, it says, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new. What does it say? With you. Christ will be with us. Does that do anything in your head and heart? That that, that God, the one whose body was broken and beaten and torn, the one who absorbed the full wrath of God, do all sin who would believe. And he rose from the grave. He says, do you long to be with Christ, church? The table should say and should remind us that we're saying, Oh Christ, what you've done is glorious, but I want to be with you. The one you love most. You see, the most significant part of the new heaven and the new earth is not the cool shrubbery that I'll get to shrubbery one day. Shrubberize, whatever you want to call it. But the fact is that I'll get to do it with Christ. That I'll get to be with my Savior. That I will see Him face to face. That I will see Him for who He is, 1 Corinthians tells us. No longer through a glass of dimly. I can't wait for that day. My question is, are you anticipating that day? Are you so in love with the things of this world that this is just bread and juice to you? And it is bread and juice, but it is a declaration. Is it a symbol that by faith, Jesus, you've promised, you've saved me, you were purifying me, but more importantly, you are coming back one day. And I want that day to come, Lord. I want that day to come because I want to see you. The one whom we love most, the apple of our eyes, the greatest pleasure and delight. God himself will be with us. Wow. Does that get you excited? It should. 
So when we come to the table, remember, we're we're declaring we're a part of a, a big story that's been before time and will continue after time. It's declaring a, a God whose very body was broken, that he was the body of affliction, that his blood was spilt to make us in a covenant with him. But it's also declaring, he says, I'm coming back and it's going to be even better. See, we long for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We long for that day when he comes and he sets the table before us and pay attention to this. It's not going to be served from the hands of your pastors or elders. It will be served from the hands of Christ himself. How sweet will that meal be? We won't have to wash our hands before that meal. So I was thinking about this this week and just meditating on it, I, I thought of a a scene in my own life. I remember uh, when Shell and I got married. We had a, a meal before the meal. You know what I'm talking about? The meal before the meal? What do we call the meal before the meal? The rehearsal dinner. Right? And and we're we're in Tampa, Shelly and I are about to get married in a couple of days, and and my I don't even remember where we had it at, to be honest with you. <laughs> But we're there with the rehearsal meal, and it was good. And it really was good. It was delicious. It was wonderful. But then I remember at the end of that meal, Shelly drove away. She went to go be with her mom and her friends who were there and prepare for our wedding day the next day. You know, as wonderful as that meal was, I can't. I couldn't wait for the next meal. I couldn't wait for the wedding feast. And let me just plug this. Churches, we should have the best wedding feasts that there ever are. Sometimes we we lower down. We don't want to. No, we should throw throwdowns when it comes to wedding feasts because it is a declaration of what we long for, what's coming for us one day. So whoever's getting married next, we're going to have a throwdown because it's going to be glorious. It's a reminder that there's coming a wedding feast just like that. And I remember after Shelly and I said, I do, we got to sit together and we got to share a meal. And now guess what? Nothing will separate me and Shelly. It's the same thing we declare when we come to this table that this is just the rehearsal dinner, but there's a better meal coming where we get dressed up and Shelly had her white robe, white robe, white dress on. I'm thinking Revelation now. I'm dressed up in my tux, you know, and, and I'm sweating just like I'm doing now. But this is merely a rehearsal dinner. There's coming a feast one day, brothers and sisters. Where our bridegroom will come and take us by the arms and sweep us up to this table and say, I've prepared all of this for my people. And he will be there. Do we long for that day? Or is it simply a trivial bread and cup that we come to together? It is not. It means so much more. So as we Begin to prepare for the table. May we be those who realize this is declaring we're part of a big story. May this help us to remember that there was a sacrifice, a covenant sacrifice, God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ. But it is most of all, it is a foretaste, a rehearsal dinner of something more glorious and a better kingdom to come. A kingdom where we will feast and we will work and we will rejoice and we will worship in God himself who is among us. This is what we come to as we come to the table. And it is for all 
who believe, turning from their sins, living for this kingdom. So I pray. I pray as we come to the table, this is what you begin to do. You begin to understand, that if this is a foretaste, then what am I living for in this world that I need to let go of? Some, some of us, myself included, I'm so consumed by the things of this world that I forget there's something better coming. And may this time together, may it be a, a time where we ask the Spirit to refine us, to show us how we're living for our own kingdoms and not the better kingdom to come. Where Christ himself will be among us. Just a few moments we'll take the bread and the cup together. But as we do so, let me just encourage you with several things. The reason we haven't, obviously, is because of the certain circumstances with our um, community and COVID-19. And, and just to encourage some of you, this was all prepared by someone who was, had latex gloves on and a, and a mask. And David and I will serve it to you with a mask over our face. So if you're uncomfortable, please don't feel like you have to come. I encourage you just in your chair, in your space, just to remember the, the broken, afflicted body of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed so the forgiveness of sins, we might be brought into a new covenant. But the table is here. And as we do this, I pray we would be encouraged and reminded that there's coming a day, as he said here, when he will drink it new with us in his Father's kingdom one day. And again, let me just remind you, this is only for believers. Parents, what a great opportunity right now to share the gospel with your kids. One more time. Remind them that that this bread represents a body of Christ that was broken. God himself in the flesh. The blood that was spilt was forgiveness of sins. Solidifying the atonement necessary for our salvation. This is for believers. Not only believers, but believers who have already been baptized. Walking in step with the church. This is our declaration together that Jesus is sufficient. That he's beautiful. Maybe you're here and you're not a member of our church. And um, we would invite you if you're in in a good standing of another congregation to come and join us here. Uh, But maybe you've been visiting for a while um, and you haven't joined our church. We would encourage you just to abstain for a moment and have a conversation with Dave and I after. But let me ask you this. As Paul commends us to, let us examine our own hearts. Let us reflect on the broken, afflicted body of Christ, the blood that was shed, the covenant that we're in, and the better kingdom that is to come. Would you take a few moments and reflect, and then we'll take the table together. Pray with me and then we'll take 
table together. Father, we praise you. For you are the God who saves. You are the God who has orchestrated a great salvation. And Father, we declare, Father, we are insufficient in and of ourselves. That we cannot save ourselves. That we are nothing but sinners. Hearts of stone who have rebelled against you. But Father, you have paved the way. Through your son, Jesus Christ. And we just say thank you. Thank you for Christ, his, his incarnation that he took on flesh, Father, his perfect life that we could not live. Father, for his substitutionary death that he, he died the death I deserved and he has clothed me in his righteousness. And now I'm in relationship with you and dwelt by your spirit. Father, that he rose from the grave and has ascended at your right hand. And as we've learned today, Father, that he's promised you're coming. He's coming back again. Father, as we take the table, I pray you help us to be mindful of you and all that you've done for us. May you be honored in all things. We ask in Christ's name. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.